Mike. Glad you could join me for some great seafood. Me too. Wait, why are you dressed in fishing gear? You said we were going out to catch great seafood, right? Yes, to Popeye's. Do you even know how to fish? No, I thought you did. Oh yeah, I could catch pretty good seafood at Popeye's. Let's go. Let Popeye's do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood. Get Popeye's flounder fish sandwich or shrimp tackle box before they're gone. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. folks and welcome to typology the show on which we explore the story of you through the lens of the enneagram my name is anthony skinner producer of the show and we are happy to have you here with us today we've got a great guest andy gullahorn he is an enneagram nine andy is one of our favorite singer songwriters here in nashville tennessee his songs are heartfelt funny really really smart and we get the extra added privilege of having andy pull out his guitar and play a song for us today. So you're going to get that here in just a minute. We had a little bit of technical difficulty along the way and Ian's mic dropped out. So I'm going to jump in here in a minute and help finish out his story that he's setting up before Andy plays. Before I turn it over to our host, I want to remind you that Ian dropped his brand new book, The Story of You, on December 28th. It's a really great read and chock full of stuff that is going to be transformative for you so make sure you check that out it's available anywhere fine books are sold and the audio version is available as well as a matter of fact earlier this week on january the 24th 2022 we dropped a bonus typology podcast episode with ian reading chapter one so make sure you check that out if you haven't already we're rolling lots of really fun things out this year I'll be filling you in more about that as the year goes on. That's what I've got for you today. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now, here is the host of our show, Ian Crump. Andy Gullahorn, welcome to Typology. Thanks for having me. It is such a delight because, you know, I don't always get dear friends on the show. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times, the very first time I meet the person is like, you know, across the table. And uh, here you are my neighbor, a dear friend of 10 years, mm-hmm. and the, honestly, one of my favorite singer-songwriters on the planet, mm. incredibly gifted, and uh, and of course, you're my, we go walking frequently, and you're my uh, my therapist, but we, we wander mm. around, and I dump my life onto you, and you graciously listen like a good Enneagram 9 would. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my favorite memories um, was not this past year, but the year before at the, the uh, Christmas show, the Behold the Lamb Christmas show at the Ryman Auditorium. Those of you who don't know about the Ryman, the Ryman is the mother church of music here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a, it's a gorgeous room. We got this 2,000 people in the room. And you get up to do your portion of the show on stage. And you play a song I've never heard before. And I'm thinking, oh, listen to that. It's a song I've never heard before. Hey, folks, it's Anthony Skinner. And as I said earlier, we had a little bit of audio difficulties and Ian's mic dropped. So I'm just stepping in here to finish Ian's thought as he was setting up Andy to play the song. So Andy is on stage at the Ryman Auditorium and he plays a song Ian has never heard before. And it is a song about the Enneagram. And so, of course, it really grabbed Ian's attention. And when Andy came into the studio today, we have guitars hanging on the walls. And Ian asked Andy if he would 
sing this song for you all today. And Andy graciously agreed. So now here is Andy Gullihorn. I think I figured out why I feel so alone. I've grown too much in self-awareness I'm sure that I'm right But the friends that I know Aren't involved enough to understand it I read all my blind spots a long time ago After reading some books that put me in the know I don't need therapy, there's nothing to fix Cause I know what my Enneagram number is Some old European said know thyself You'd probably be jealous of me though I'm a man without a shadow A picture of health Who humbly got rid of his ego I taught myself yoga So I'm all covered there Every once in a while I do center in prayer But the greatest of all Is a comfort I get Cause I know what my Enneagram number is I used to not see That I Back to you. 
They say it's a journey But I found the end Cause I know what my Enneagram number is I know what my Enneagram number is I know what my Enneagram number is <laughs> Is that not the best oh, song? Thank you. That was amazing. So there I am in an auditorium, 2,000 people. And they they went crazy, <laughs> and he stuck the title of your he, other book in there. I got to tell you, it was a moment. It was a moment, and unfortunately, he did not know I was in the audience. Yeah. Oh wow! I was not aware of that, but I was so glad that you were. I Me love too. that that melody too. It, it's beautiful. It, it was oh a great gosh. great day. Here, I'll take that guitar. Oh, thank you, sir. So, um, Andy Enneagram Nine, mm-hmm. the peacemaker. You've been a long time student really of the Enneagram your parents have had an Enneagram coach for you said to me the other day 35 years uh, I think so my Very long, since God. I was so, in at least in high school yeah. so you have been really immersed in the Enneagram for a long time I was at least aware of it I knew since I was in high school that I was a nine and some of the basics of what that meant I'm sure we talked about it and then it was kind of I carried it with me um, and then really started doing more work I don't know, in the last decade. Right. So just out of curiosity, did your parents type you or were they cool about it, let you figure it out on your own? Because a lot of times, you know, parents early on, they can get pretty frothy mouthed about it and want everyone to do it in the family. I, I don't know the answer to that question. And I don't know if this is a nine thing, but I have a horrible memory. So it could have been that they told me that I was a nine and then told me to, to read this stuff and make sure. Or maybe I just read it, and, and but it was, I was a pretty textbook nine, so it wasn't that hard to figure out. Right. What but if it's like with me with my it? kids, like I kind of have a hypothesis about my own kids mm-hmm. until they, I mean, I know that I'm right, but <laughs> then I just wait for them to realize it. So you, you say you're a textbook nine, and what does that mean? Like when you say textbook nine, what does that mean to you? Uh, well, I guess I would say textbook nine is somebody who uh, avoids conflict it's easygoing, uh, smooth waters. Works really hard to have smooth waters. Um, it's it's come to mean other things over the years, but that's kind of I would say that's the basic hmm. part of it for me. So you know, I've written this. Uh, you know, I actually I gave you a copy of my my new book, the story of the you. story of you, the yes, story sir. of you. That's right, uh, and. You know, describe how each of these nine store, these nine types occupy a story that they tell themselves and others about who they are and how they think the world works. And that story really works for them as little people, right? Helps them make sense of their trauma, of what they're experiencing. It helps organize all the messages they're picking up and internalizing from parents and teachers and culture and coaches and, you know, peers, right? That kind of reinforce and keep building on that story. And really the nine's story is kind of built around this mistaken belief that they're not really as important as other people, or sometimes it's just that other people just seem to have more energy and investment in their own opinions, preferences, desires, viewpoints than the nine does. And because the nine wants to maintain connection with other people, that's a big deal, and they want to preserve inner peace, 
and outer peace, but really inner peace is the big one. Um, their strategy, of course, is by avoiding conflict, by sometimes merging with other people, sometimes fading into the wallpaper, right? And, and of course, then the, the risk of the story is that they become selfless, like without a self, right? Uh, and so the journey for them is to really decouple themselves from that story to rewrite a new one, right? So I guess one of the things I would ask you then is, does that story that I'm describing sound true? And, and how did you end up crafting that story for yourself as a kid? Like, how did that happen? It does sound true, uh, very true. And like I said, my memory of childhood is... Hmm. Uh, not that great. Um, but the, the feeling of, like when I first heard that uh, nines don't think their presence matters, that that's part of the story that, that we adopt, I was like, eh, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Um, but then the more I kind of did work around it, the more that kept showing up over and over again in ways that, I, that kind of surprised me. Um, one way I would say it, what you were saying is that I kind of, a story I told myself was that I didn't have an opinion mm. about anything. Mm, interesting. Um, because I, anybody's opinion was just as good as mine. So I would, I can remember coming out of movies, growing up to adulthood any time. And if I was with a group of people and they'd say, what'd you think about the movie? I would have n no answer. Mm. Because I'd, at some point I just kind of like, well, I, I don't know what it's like to form my own opinion um, and then voice it. So I think I was forming my own opinions, but like it was so buried deep down that like the voicing it part, being in touch with what my opinion was in order to express it was, uh, I think I just had to bury that for a long time. Hmm. That's it's still mostly buried, I think. Hmm. Uh, it's a practice to, to, for me to give an opinion about something without just on my own. I mean, the classic things, you know, like where you want to go eat or something like that. Uh, I can do that sometimes. But it kind of across the board, I told myself that I didn't have an opinion or... Um, and that can stretch into like dreams or desires, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of nines would, would say that they come out of the movie. People will say, what, what was your opinion of the movie? And then, and, and the nine might go, well, I don't, I don't really know. Then they might hear someone else with a strong opinion about the movie and then agree with it. Mm -hmm. And then literally five minutes later, someone has the opposite opinion and the nine might go, oh yeah, I can see that too. Yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? In and other I, words, could, I could literally have both of those opinions at the same time. It feels like mm -hmm. I could both think it was a horrible movie and a great movie, depending on right. the context of the conversation. Right. And which can then obviously can create, uh, problems in relationships, right? Because people want to be in relationship with someone who has a defined self. It's, you know, I can, uh, I was listening to a Jack Cornfield podcast the other day, and he's clearly a nine on the Enneagram. Mm. And he's a great, great teacher, a writer. And he, he was talking about how he was living with this woman, like in the 70s. And she eventually got to a place with him where, you know, she would constantly be asking for his opinion and his thoughts and stuff. And he goes, well, you know, and she said, finally, she said, you have to show up here. Like, I have no idea who you, like, like, you're just, it's all too blurry and soupy. And I know that that's something you've worked a lot on. Like, like, unlike a lot of people, you, you haven't just learned your Enneagram type. Like, 
you and I have had some very deep conversations around what you've learned as a result of the Enneagram. And of course, other work, therapy, counseling, you know, all the other things that we do. Um, do you feel like at this point in your life that you're developing sharper edges more that when people are with you, they sense your presence at the fore more like you're just more there? I hope so. Mm -hmm. I hope that's true. Um, you'd have to ask my wife probably. Um, but I do. There are times where I feel like if I give myself enough time and space for it, where I can uh, be more in touch with what it is that I want or what it is that I think. And part of that, uh, part of that process was more like if somebody asked me a question, not answering it right away. Mm. That was uh, one of the biggest tools for me. Mm. So if somebody were to say, what do you think about that movie? I said, let me get back to you tomorrow. Um, so I could sit with it myself long enough to to figure what it was because I'll, I'll merge with somebody else real quick and real easily and so I have to kind of be separate from that to form my own opinions and, and know what I think and feel about something that's mm. great advice yeah I think little tools like that along the way really really help us mm. right I, I have some some tools that have been really over the years have you know given me some skills in the moment that I never had before that were like really, really, really helpful. So here's a question I like to ask people. Think back to what your first 15 years of life, and let's say you were writing a memoir about those first 15 years. What would the name of the memoir be? Looking through the lens of the Enneagram, let's say. Hmm. Somewhere, I don't know what the exact title would be, but it would be along the lines of easy. Just kind of like, um, not just easy going, but just uh, like an easy presence. Mm. Um, that's my, I'll get back to you about that question tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the exact title would be, but it would be along the lines of easy. Just kind of like, um, not just easy going, but just uh, like an easy presence. Hmm. Um, that's my, I'll get back to you about that question tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, easy presence is, is, can be a beautiful title, right? Yeah. But if that's the story that you crafted as a little person, what, what would you like the story of you to be titled today? Like, how would it be different? There are things about that easygoing side that I think are wonderful and what I love about myself. So it wouldn't be totally different. It wouldn't be like, you know, abrasive, you know, right. Businessman. Um, I don't know. So there'd be parts of that title that carry over, but it, I guess it would be different 
in a way that I would be more in touch with my own self. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what the title for that would be. Mm. Cause I really do feel like the, that kind of easygoing presence and there's part of that mediator peacemaker that I just, I love. And there are some times where it's really healthy for me to do that. And it can be, it can bring a lot of good things into the world. And there are times where it's, it can be horribly destructive to myself and other people by minimizing threats or minimizing actions. Um, so I think some sort of a kind of that same thing, but kind of a redeemed version of it. I don't know what the, you're the writer. You can come, give me a good title. It'd be called the story of you. <laughs> well, actually, you know, in the book I talk about, you know, as a four, my, my early title would have been the, the lost boy. Mm. And then the, the new story that I, that I work to inhabit and live in is the redeemed man. Mm. Um, and you know, that's, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really helpful exercise sometimes to think about, you know, like what, what would that memoir have been called early on? And what, what do I want it to be now? Hmm. Like, what would the name of the story I want to live be titled now? Yeah. You know, um, kind of gives us a, some clarity about where we, we want to move yeah. in, in this life, you know? So, all right. Interestingly, and I've said this before, I think the best songwriters in Nashville are all nines. Really? Yeah, no question. Well, I will not argue with you. <laughs> I have no opinion on the matter. Right. Well, here's why. Here's why I think that's true. One is uh, they, they are able to see the world through multiple prisms, right? They, they can just see the world from lots of different vantage points. Nines are great storytellers, maybe second to sevens. You know, nines are, are really great storytellers. Uh, secondly, I think when they co-write with other people, especially artists, they come into a room and they may come with an idea or two. But if the artist is like, well, let's do this, or I got an idea. The nine's like, okay, mm -hmm. let's do that. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have, the ego doesn't get in the way. They're just like, you know, I'll go with the flow of whatever's happening in here. They don't have a, uh, an aggressive presence. So when they come in the room, nobody feels threatened. Uh, they're usually kind of low key. I've never met a nine who shows up in a tie and jacket. They show up in blue jeans and a t-shirt. So there's no strutting, you know, there's no thing. Mm -hmm. And because of that, and they're very good at pulling stuff out of other people. Mm -hmm. Do you see where I'm going? Like yeah. where nines are like genius at songwriting. I'm not saying I met a lot of threes, fours, you know, fours can be great songwriters, but man, nines as co-writers particularly, mm. incredible. I can see that. I mean, I hope that's, I hope that that's what somebody's experience would be like writing with me. Um, is I do feel like I have an ability to sit with an artist and listen to what they have to say and, and try to put myself in their shoes and help tell their story in a, in a certain way. And I can remember even back when I first started writing songs in high school, I did some co-writing and some of my favorite co-writes were with people who were very, uh, they might've been aggressive stance, or, but, but at least very confident in what they were bringing to the table. And I always loved it because I, mm. I wasn't. I was just like, I could kind of ride that. And, and my job was to kind of like uh, fit it into the form, song form, which, which I love. Um, but I love writing with artists for that reason. I love hearing their story and trying to find a way to tell it as if it was my own. Um, so there is, 
you know, some level of merging going on there as well. Um, it, it makes me think if we talked about this before, but there are a few times there's a group of nines here in town. We get together for breakfast. And we call it the peace summit. And, uh, <laughs> and they, uh, a lot of musicians and, uh, just amazing musicians in their, in their own right. But all of us have been sidemen for a good part of our careers. I mean, I do my own music and whatever, but I'm just as happy. I play guitar for my wife for years and still play guitar for her and, and for our friend Andrew Peterson. And I'm just as happy doing that as doing my own thing. And there's something about that accompaniment uh, side to it where we don't really have to be in the spot. It doesn't mean we don't have an ego. It just shows up in a different way. Yeah. Um, but just, just as happy uh, joining in on somebody else's dream as having my own. Uh, and that is kind of my own dream is to kind of join in uh, on that. So I hope that comes in handy as mm -hmm. a co-writer. Uh, I think it does, but there's a great story. I can't remember if it was, might've been Leonard uh, Bernstein and he was talking about in an interview with somebody and the interviewer said to him, he said, so maestro, uh, as a conductor, what, um, what is the hardest, uh, what is the most valuable player? Who is the most valuable player in your orchestra? And of course, you know, I think people would have guessed what it was. And Bernstein said, second violin. And he went, what? He goes, oh yeah, first violinist are a dime a dozen. You know what I mean? Mm. It, you know, there's a lot of, you know, hotshot first violinists out there. He says, but it is very hard to find a truly great second violinist who is very confident and brings that, it's a critical role, mm. right, to the table, but very few people have the awareness that I'm a second violinist, that's mm. what I do well. I'm really great at making a piece of music sound great without having to be the guy mm. or the woman, you know, at the table. And I don't think that in any way is a diminishment of somebody's role. I think people who know that, you know, sure. it's like, it's an amazing gift. Yeah. You know? When you say that, I mean, it doesn't feel like a diminishment to me. Mm -hmm. It feels like the title of my new book. <laughs> <laughs> second chair. I mean, the great, honestly, the great thing about being like second violinist or like, you know, a sideman is that you get to eat all the same food, travel all the same places, and you don't have to go out and like sign all the CDs and stuff. It's pretty awesome. That's like that 20 steps or whatever. Isn't For 20 feet to start them. 20 feet yeah, to start yeah. them, like the yeah. difference between, you know, the singing background and having to carry the load. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, though, and here's what I'm going to push back on you. You, and this may be me projecting my wonderful plan for your life onto you, <laughs> which I know as a nine, you would be, uh, be very hard to do. Right. Right. Good luck. Because, you, yeah, I was going to say, because you would be going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh. And you'd also be thinking at the same time, no, yeah. no, no, and avoiding conflict without having to say it. Just, just, just because I'm nodding doesn't mean I agree with you. That's right. Yeah. So, like sometimes you are such a gifted songwriter and performer, and and I was and I'm sure many people have said this to you, like, well, why don't you want to be first chair? Why don't you want to be the star, the guy who's developing a big career and a bit? You know what I mean? Like we have lots of friends, right? You see them on Instagram. They are just killing it. I mean, just like, you know, product lines and t-shirts and they're just, you know, they're absolutely no 
better, and in some cases, I think, inferior songwriters to you. Have you ever felt like, man, if I if I just was a bit more assertive in bringing what I have to the world, you know what I mean? Mm. Has that ever been a struggle for you? Have you ever found yourself comparing yourself to, let's say, Andrew or somebody else, and you're like, well, I mean, I, I'm as good a songwriter. It's like, how do you reconcile that? Well, I won't accept that I'm as good of a songwriter as Andrew. He's an excellent songwriter, but thank you for saying that. Um, I, I would say there are fleeting moments where that comes in. I'm like, oh, well, why am I not? It's very fleeting. It doesn't happen very often. And some of that is more around, um, you know, success and finance, like just know to write. Like there's, I, th I think a lot of people have that feeling of like, oh, it would be nice to do this or have this. Um, for me, it seems like there's a lot of pressure that I want to avoid mm. from doing that. So it's kind of like a safety, mm -hmm. uh, protection thing as if I could be so huge, but I'm protecting myself by making sure that I'm not, you know, that's not, I mean, you know, I don't really have control over that, but I think that's part of where that story comes in. The Enneagram story comes in. When I first heard presence doesn't matter, I'm like, no, I think my presence matters. I have the kind of job where, I mean, I am the front man right, a lot of my choice. life, yeah. you know, and I experience some of that. It's not like crazy, you know, stuff, but um, I have a kind of job where people tell me way more than they should that what I've done has mattered in their lives. And I'm really honored to do that. And people have helped me see the difference between that and my presence mattering. I kind of, part of my key to quote success is like having very low expectations for myself. So if I had big dreams of, of being huge, um, then there's more possibility for me to fail at it and, and mm. to feel that kind of mm -hmm. discomfort versus, Oh, well, I just, I'm happy being a guitar player and a songwriter who does little dinky stuff here and there. Um, I do wonder sometimes if some of that is a, is a defense mechanism from, from, having to put myself out there and kind of say, this is what I want and go after it. Um, but it's also just not my personality. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm not that ambitious uh, work-wise. I love writing songs. I love playing songs for people. I love what I do. Um, and I'd love to do it as much as I can. Um, but I'm not, ultimately I, I don't have the drive to do what it, the drive and the vision to do what it takes to, to be, you know, some huge, there aren't really huge singer songwriter, folky artists anyway. So I'm, I'm just kind of happy where I am. Mm. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Were you worried that you just went off on an epic saga? Yeah. Spree yeah. that the And there have been people, there have been friends who say like, why aren't you doing this? You should be doing this to advance your career in this. And I'm like, there are things about that that sound kind of nice. But it's really, the part that sounds nice about it is being on an airplane and somebody saying, what do you do? And I say, I, I'm, I write songs. And they're like, have I heard any of them? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it, most of it has to do with wanting to be legitimized in somebody else's, uh, like a stranger's eyes, um, which is, I know is not worth a whole lot in the, in the long run. Um, because whenever I can get away from that thought of trying to legitimize myself to somebody that I don't know on an airplane, I can be like, 
oh, I really love what I do. And I'd, I'd be happy doing what I'm doing right now for the rest of my life. Hmm. Uh, we'll see. So are you in therapy right now? You seeing anybody, a counselor? I know you live with, I know you're married and live with a counselor. I mean, I, I well, yeah, that's part of it. Having a wife as a therapist, but that doesn't really count. Um, I'm not still going to regular therapy. I do have a therapist that, that uh, I've seen a great deal uh, over the years, and I'm in spiritual direction. Uh, that's the spiritual direction part is more active right now. Right. What do you? What is at the forefront of your work right now? Like what? What's the new frontier, if you will, if you're working on yourself? It's kind of, I don't know if it's a new, but it's like a continued frontier of, of trying to, to feel things in real time. Hmm. Um, know what I'm feeling, know what my emotions are, um, and know what I'm just feeling in, in real time, which is really hard for me to do it. So hmm. if I'm frustrated, to like feel frustrated in real time rather than letting it build up. One of the things that my therapist recommended for me to do is to practice anger um, in real time. So, you know, anger is kind of like what I'm swimming in as a nine. Um, and I normally wait until it's about a eight, a nine, or a ten before I express it or really feel it. So it's a, it's a weird exercise, but if, if, if there's even like a small frustration um, to go out into the woods behind my house and just like... Mm. hit trees or yell to, to like feel a physical expression of anger rather than just saving it until it's coming out as rage or something mm. like that. Um, I wish I could say I, I'm, I do that all the time, but I, I, I do practice that. And that to me, that's just part of trying to learn how to feel things in real time, uh, to know what it's like to feel anger as a, at a two or a three. Um, whether or not I'm getting better at it, I don't know. Hmm. We had Lee Camp on the show a um, bunch of years ago, who you know well. Um, and Lee is a one, so he's in the anger triad with you. And, of course, you know, we know that eights externalize anger, ones internalize anger, nines go, what anger? I'm not angry, right? And so the eight is actually too in touch with instinctual drive. One isn't, right, like... Uh, well, I would say tamps down instinctual drive. And nine goes kind of like is disconnected, right? Isn't, doesn't plug enough into the juice mm-hmm. right, of the instinctual drive. And, you know, Lee used to say that uh, for him, anger, right? Because you have issues of anger for all three types. He would go into his backyard and not only would he, and this is an ethics professor at Lipscomb University, okay? Uh, and he would go in the backyard and cuss his brain out. I mean, just would scream in the backyard. And that, that was a huge piece of healing for him, mm-hmm. was really going out there and finding some kind of a different relationship to anger than the one he'd had. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like really, really helpful. Mm. What's the, what the word you just used? You, you said uh, instinctual... Instinctual drive, instinctual okay. energy. Yeah, and um, that's part of the. That's some of what I've been working on with my, with my spiritual director as well. Mm. Is like this question of learning how to trust my gut, the um, the instinct which can like take me to some dark places too. But the difference between like, you know, this this uh, 
the instinct that is there for me to uh, live wholeheartedly, uh, what that would be like. Mm. Um, it's just learning how to trust that gut. Yes. Which I rely on a lot. Um, but yeah, that, I'd say that's also kind of the forefront of my of the work. Mm. That's really good. Uh, because that is part of the anger triads work for the nine, mm. you know, is being more in the body, more in the gut, right? Um, you love podcasts, the stories, the laughs, the unexpected turns. But when this episode ends, the silence starts. Not anymore. Audiobooks.com turns that silence into your next great adventure. With over 450,000 titles, from bestsellers to hidden gems, your love for listening just found its new best friend. And because you already know the joy of audio, we're giving you three free audiobooks to start your journey. Imagine your favorite podcast, now with unlimited episodes. That's audiobooks.com. Keep the story going. Sign up for your free trial at audiobooks.com slash podcast free today. Because for podcast lovers like you, the end of an episode is just the beginning. That's audiobooks.com slash podcast F-R-E-E. Which I think for a nine is like super, super important. You know? Now you and I share a mutual enthusiasm for 12-step spirituality. How, how, um, how has that been of service to you as you've done your work? so many ways um i'll say the first one that comes to mind is talking the 12 steps about character defects mm. um, tell people know what that is if you aren't familiar with 12 steps well the weird thing is like for me when i heard the term character defects i, I was thinking from like i don't know where which world i picked this up from but it felt like that was too harsh like i was beating myself mm -hmm. up saying that there was I have some defects of character. Um, but the way that I've come to understand it in, in 12 steps is like looking honestly at things, uh, whether that's pride or, I mean, there's so many things. Or sloth. Or sloth, yeah. Okay. And looking at it um, and not trying to, it's this balance of not trying to candy coat it and say like, oh no, it's totally fine. But also not, not saying I'm a piece of crap for, having that right so it's, it's just trying to be honest with myself about yeah i'm i'm not very motivated i can just kind of sit around and and not get stuff done and there's a way of looking at that with self-compassion and saying yeah this is something that is really hard for me but until i actually look at it and name it i can't do anything about it so i think some in, in the 12 steps it's kind of giving a, a framework to look at it in the context of compassion for myself, mm. moving towards something. So it's not just like, this is what you do and it's so annoying, or this is what you do and it's so bad. It's, it's looking at something that is keeping me from being the, the kind of person that I want to be. Yeah, yeah. And mm. uh, once I do that, I mean, I guess I spent a lot of time just not looking at it and just hoping I would change someday. Mm -hmm. and maybe that works for some people, but it didn't work for me. It's interesting. I think there's so much really healthy feathering or a great way to twin 12-step work with the Enneagram. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, tell me, you just got, you just oh, got no, I just, up. It's hard for me to separate them. Mm. Um, because 
to me, that's what the Enneagram is too. It's kind of looking at this, the shadow side. You know, when people first hear about their personality type, they're like, oh, I don't, there are things that really sting. And if you get past, you know, the, the sitting around joking about, you know, this is what a four would say or whatever. If you get past that level and you, and you take that, those things that really sting and you really look at it like, well, if this is true about me, I've even found that the Enneagram has been helpful diagnostically. So certain things that they say, oh, when nine does this, I'm like, yeah, that, that doesn't feel true for me. Um, but moving forward as a hypothesis, like, well, what if that was true? And I'm just blind to it. Um, it's helped to bring out things that I was just totally unaware of. Mm. So I think both of those things are about looking at yourself with compassion. Um, I'm not a bad person getting good, but a sick person getting well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that translates over both of those yeah. places. Yeah, I've heard some things recently. You know, I've got a group that meets on a, actually tonight at six. And we've just finished this book on uh, steps six and seven, right? Uh, we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character, right? Turn, the, turn them over to God and ask God to remove our shortcomings, right? That's essentially six and seven. I just botched seven. But, um, you know, I think one of the things my, a friend of mine calls them, he doesn't call them character defects. He calls them character defenses hmm. because that's actually what they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the things, these are the plans, the, the strategies I came up with to deal with pain and to find my way through the world. I didn't know that, right? But things like sloth, envy, uh, all the different passions of the Enneagram um, and the, the different things that we do uh, almost now mechanistically, you know, they're character defenses, not just defects, right? Because I think, mm-hmm. well, like you, I always thought, eh, defect's kind of a hard word, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I already got enough problems right now. I mean, no one walks into a 12-step meeting because life's going great. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I really didn't need that. But when someone said, you know, these are character defenses, I was like, got it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Because that's the self-compassion piece, right? Mm-hmm. And as we do our Enneagram work, and we do start to look at our shadow side, we do look at our character defenses. Um, if we do it without that kind of motherly gaze, you know, mm-hmm. the gaze, the soft gaze of that mother looking at us like, you know, with our, fin- our hand in the cookie jar, mm-hmm. just with a soft, gentle gaze that says, no, this is not going to, this is going to end in tears, mm-hmm. you know, right. but with, with a great deal of love and, and, and compassion, you know, is so important. And I, I guess one of the things I'm just encouraging people to do is regardless of whether you self-identify as the classic addict, you really need to look at 12-step spirituality as a way to do better Enneagram work. I think one of the things that 12-step spirituality has that's not as built into Enneagram work is not doing it alone. I think there are a lot of people who are yes. doing Enneagram work in, in, with other people, but it's also something that, you know, some people are sitting at home reading stuff and just kind of like doing all the processing on their own. Yes. So what's helpful is to have people, brains outside of my body, other people who are looking at my life. Mm. And so they can see... I was thinking particularly like one of those character defenses. Um, there are a lot of years where if somebody was asking how I would kind of describe myself in, in kind of a character defect kind of way, I, there are times where I'm like, I just feel like I have no backbone. Mm. And to say that in a community of people who know me and who have walked with me, they can kind of help guide things that are like, okay, this is a helpful way of looking at that if, if it's moving towards growth and, and healing, 
or you're beating yourself up. You know, and, and they can kind of help uh, guide, keep me from beating myself up. If, if, that's, if that's a message I'm telling myself that is really just kind of like, you know, not true, and it's just to beat myself up, then they kind of won't let me hold it. Mm. Um, which is hard to do if you're doing work on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying most Enneagram work is done on your own. It's just, that's just built into mm-hmm. 12 steps. It's, you, you can't do it. You can't do it alone. You know, that's a great point because I do think the vast majority, 99% of people do their Enneagram work alone. Mm-hmm. Now, some might listen to a podcast, but that's not interactive. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a passive kind of form of learning. Um, whereas I do think, I, I would love to see whether it's therapists put together groups or people just, you just no need to do that. Why pay? Just like you do, get together with a group of people. And it can be funny, but it can also be like, let's also, knowing what we know about each other based on our Enneagram types, let's, let's check in. Let's hear what's going on. Let's kind of do some work here because who knows you better right. than another nine, yeah. right? It's like, so to be in a community of where there's some, like a wisdom circle, you know, people are, are speaking in, in ways that are so powerful, you know? And I can see how, you know, when people are figuring out where they are on the Enneagram, you know, people are like, well, don't let other people type you. You know, this is a journey for you to figure out, which is so true. But also having, yeah, having the input of people Mm-hmm. around you who even who know you or who don't like the uh, having a group of nines sit around and talk it's kind of like hey is this your experience this is true for me as an example i have my own kind of unofficial uh research i've been doing the enneagram it's, it hasn't been published yet oh at least until it's you know this podcast comes out <laughs> does that count <laughs> and and you know it's a question that i ask most nines it's a pretty scientific one, so I mean, I hope I can translate the language. Please. But it's, but it's, um, do you often say you're about to pee your pants? And nines has have a very, very high percentage of about to pee your pants. What? Really? Yeah, and that's just something that you wouldn't find unless you're doing work with other people. Oh, you, I have, I have my theories about this too. Please but. elucidate. I need okay. to know more about. It. I mean, I might have asked your wife this too, and she's in the club, so <laughs> that's awkward. But continue. Uh, <laughs> the. I mean, the scenario would be like, uh, like me coming home from, from this, right? And I go home and I pull in the driveway and as soon as I get out of the car, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to pee my pants. Maybe I've had to pee for the last five hours and I just didn't do it because I'm, well, some of it is just falling asleep to my own body, not paying attention to my body. Sorry, that's my timer for... No, actually, that's, that, that's actually the... Meatloaf is done. No, no, get the meatloaf out. No, actually, what that is, is it, it's, it's actually the battery warning on my pacemaker. Okay. So, <laughs> so we better wrap this up because uh, the next thing people are going to hear is this, yeah. which is the sound of my head hitting the table. All right, continue now. Back, um, back to peeing your pants. So it's part of like falling asleep to your body, not paying attention to your body, not being attuned to your body, um, and also just kind of like the, the merging with energy what's happening around. So like... Most nines that I talk to, they, if it, it also has to do with eating. Like if, if we're at a party and there's like a charcuterie board or something, just lots of food, we won't know when we're full. I mean, a lot of nines that I talk to. Wow. It's kind of like you just, in the moment, you're not feeling it real time. So you're eating and snacking. And then later on, you're like, man, I just ate too much. I mean, they're not the only ones who can feel that way. Other, other people can. But it is, uh, I've asked... I would say about 90% of the nines that I've talked to would say in, in some way uh, 
they often find themselves about to pee, like running into their house, about I've, to pee their, their pants. So. I think I've heard Randy Williams say that. Yeah. Okay, but, but, yeah but, so I just have a question about it, though, which is like... Is it too scientific for you? I, I don't no, know no, 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 no. It's too highbrow? No, no, I was able. I've been to grad school. I think I got to the academic side <laughs> okay. of it. No, I think, I think I wonder, too, if I could, for some nines, it's like, I just didn't want to ask. I didn't want to be oh, a yeah. pest. I didn't want to say, where's the men's room? You know what I mean? I totally. didn't I didn't want to like check out of the room. It's like... Or that, leave a conversation and be like, I'm going to go before we finish you know, at the restaurant or something like that. Um, yeah, it's just kind of... That's wow. the not, my presence doesn't matter piece a little bit. Right? Yeah. It's like, I don't, I guess I'll just wait till I get home. Literally, your body doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Wow. That's an insight I, I just didn't know yeah. about nines. Well, you should ask Andy about it. Well, it explains all of those wet jeans. <laughs> now, now I, that's why she's always yeah. buying new clothes. Yeah. Now, I, now I think I got it. You thought it. it was a wet patio cushion. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I thought that was the snow we just had. So, Andy, like, um, oh my you are going to be moving into, we were talking about this the other day, you know, your kids are getting older, right? Next couple of years, you're going to be an empty nester. And there's going to be a new season of growth, you know, for you in life. And, you know, who knows? But what, what are you hoping for in that that next season of life the next half of life for you because you are past the midpoint by virtue of what i know it's a big shock but you are past the the midpoint you have lived longer than you are going to live forward you know when um, i'm gonna die there is that possibility okay. it's going around <laughs> so like for, as a nine as a person a spiritual person like what does the summit look like for you? Hmm. Maybe let me phrase it this way too. Like, what is it you as a nine or is just Andy Gullen? What is it you really want in life that you would like to achieve before you croak? I mean, for the real answer to that question, I really would have to use, I'm going to uh, get back to you on it. Hmm. Cause that's, I mean, I don't know, but for um, knowing that's not very conducive to a, a podcast to come back tomorrow, um, I will say, I one of the things that really just lights me up um, is having quality time with friends. Hmm. And you know, I have you know this. I have we take walks. I've got my buddy that I've walked a mile and a half to give a high five to every week for uh, coming up on eight years. Um, so these little rituals that I have, I play badminton every week uh, with the same people. And, um, so I think as the kids, as we move more to empty nesters, I, I can kind of see it. One, I want to continue doing what I'm doing. I love playing songs for people. Uh, moving into, I started doing these, what I call therapy concerts. Uh, where it's, I kind of bring a therapist as my special guest and we do, I play some songs and we just kind of go back and forth and interact with the people who are there. Um, no, it's not you, Ian, but what, I will bring you. Let's do what, that. What the heck? Well, I, I, I'm not against it. If you, I know you can't see this, but Ian is crying right now. <laughs> 
Um, but kind of in that, that realm, I love, uh, you know, talking about 12 steps or therapy. I love that world. And I, I do a lot of work in that world as a musician. And if I liked writing papers, maybe I'd go back to school, but I don't think I'm going to do that. Um, so I kind of just see it moving into that realm. And in the, in the years to come, I really feel a pull to, to be even more involved in my local church. Not like some official role, but um, to be able to have people over after church and really kind of pour into that space. Hmm. Just because it's harder at this stage of life with kids. and It, it should be. I mean, I'm, I love spending time with my kids. So I don't know. Kind of keep doing what I'm doing, but yeah. with those, you know, add-ons. Hmm. What do yeah. you think I should do? <laughs> <laughs> Great question, Nine. <laughs> and with that, yeah, that's Andy, you know, um, what I think you should do is continue to be the marvelous human being that you are. And to just continue doing what you already do, which is giving God consent to make you whoever it is that uh, he would most want you to become or, and to be, and to just enjoy it, mm. you know, and just to enjoy it, which I think a lot of people don't really think about. It's like, no, it's just kind of plow through. It's like, no, you. one of the reasons, like, I like the poet, I think it's Paul Durkin, the Irish poet, he says, enjoy yourself. That's what you're here for. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, eh, that's a lesson that people of faith could really learn to yeah. hear from, right? Right. Enjoy yourself. It's what you're here for, right? Um, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your heart. Thanks for the fun and the meaningful dimension that, to, that not just the fun you bring my life, but the meaning uh, of our of our interactions and friendship has meant the world to me. Thank you. I yeah. love you a lot. Yeah. Come on back. And I'm proud of you and your new book, The Story of You. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I want a song that includes, okay. that includes the line, The All Story right. of I'll You. Try to. Yeah, the song, the, the book actually has to get big enough for anybody to understand the joke, but that's okay. Right. We can we can pray that I'm gonna happens. I'm going to go back and do all the other books, too. Yeah. Would you? <laughs> yeah. We got Chasing Francis. You're going to have a trouble with Jesus, my father, the CIA, and me. Oh, that's going like to be a tough one. country song to me. You know? I did keep, I kept having this thing roll around in my head something now I know the difference between what's false and what's true because I found my new story in the story of you. Yeah, see? Whoa. Because I found my new story in the story of you. See, it's already, it's right, it writes itself. <laughs> well, two songwriters in the room. I, I better get out of here. Although I want 10%, so I'm going to just change one word. Anyway, guys, thank you. As long as you don't fall asleep in the room, you get that 10%. Right? <laughs> it's Nashville, you get 33%. That's right. That's right. All right. All right. Hey, Typology listeners, thanks so much for being here. If you want to learn more about Andy Gullihorn and his music, you can go on to Spotify. Last name is G-U-L-L-A-H-O-R-N. Any of those records and songs are mm -hmm. fantastic. You will be so uh, enamored with this incredible gifted craftsman and songwriter, Andy Gullihorn. And uh, anywhere else people should go, you're... Website or anything? I mean, yeah, website. AndyGullahorn.com. Or there are a whole lot of Andy Gullahorns out there, so if you can figure out how to spell my last name, you can find whatever. Well, well we just gave him that. Yeah, that's easy. So, all right, everybody, Typology listeners, remember these words. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. And may you have rest. Until next time. <laughs>